Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to The Counselor's Couch, a podcast dedicated to exploring topics and issues that enhance the lives and relationships of listeners. I'm your host, Calvin Williams, a licensed professional counselor dedicated to helping you uncover your true potential and lead a life worth celebrating. As a reminder, nothing provided in this podcast constitutes a therapeutic relationship between counselor and client. It is solely for education and entertainment. Counseling does help, and if you are considering therapy, please reach out to a trained, licensed professional in your community. Questions and comments can be emailed to calvin at calvincwilliamslpc.com, or you can find me on Facebook at Williams Professional Counseling Services, LLC. Please feel free to submit any topics of interest or questions. I always look forward to hearing from you. So pull up a cushion, kick off your shoes, grab a cup of coffee, and curl on up. Let's get started with the session. I want to start this episode by expressing my appreciation to you for taking the time out of your busy life to listen to this podcast. I know with so many options out there that you can listen to, it really is special to me that you chose The Counselor's Couch. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcast, and soon we'll be adding Pandora and Amazon Music. So there'll be plenty of options to follow me regularly. So please subscribe, follow, and even leave a review. Thanks again, and just keep showing up. So now that I've thanked my wife and son, who are probably my only two listeners, let's just start the simple with a simple check-in. You know, in the first episode, I shared with you my weariness about how I've been tired, which I believe that many of you could relate to, given how much feedback I received after that first episode launch. Now, we're all kind of struggling with a sense of disconnect and fatigue. Well, we explored the importance of reaching out to those important people in your life, And we explored a few simple tips to help you live life intentionally, which is really what life is all about. I hope you took some time this week just to kind of reach out, connect with a friend or a family member. And I hope you definitely took some time to identify what your life of intention looks like. Well, in today's episode, I want to spend some time talking to you about the emotional elephant in the room. And that's the current state of anxiety that I think many of us are experiencing. I imagine if I took a poll right now and asked you to score yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 regarding your anxiety levels over the past year, the results would surprise many of us. Now, generally, I'm a pretty laid-back person, and it takes a lot to rattle me. And that's probably the only gift I've really developed as a result of going through the challenges in my own life. I always know that things could be worse. Well, because they have been. Well, that being said, right now, my anxiety levels just seem to be jacked up. I swear, I quit watching the news months ago, and I've kind of become the king of sitcom reruns on my downtime. It's just about slowing my brain down and finding a laugh. It's just one of those ways, one of my many ways of coping or just shutting down for a while, which is what I tend to do. Years ago, when I was president of the Louisiana Counseling Association, the executive director uh, complimented me, or at least I took it as a compliment, that uh, at the end of my tenure, I remember her saying, you know what, Calvin, when you were on, you were on. But when you're off, you're off. Well, it probably helps that I do have ADD, and that's probably a symptom of that. But it's just kind of my way of dealing with things. Switching on and switching off, taking that time. It's just knowing when to turn it back on. Well, right now, myself, probably like many people, wearing out my on and off switch. You ever feel like that? I'm on, I'm off, I'm on, I'm off. So it's just kind of maybe 
getting stuck a little bit. In my private practice, the influx of new clients presenting with anxiety-related symptoms just seems to have skyrocketed over the last year. On one hand, as a professional, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to serve and definitely for the business growth. But on the other hand, it's been an eye-opener. I mean, people have gone most of their lives without any visible symptoms are now finding their way to the counselor's couch just going, what's wrong with me? And to be honest with you, most of the time, my response is simple. There's nothing wrong with you. You are simply responding to the world around you. You're now maybe more aware of the existing levels of anxiety that were probably ever-present. Unfortunately, the coping skills or the compensatory skills that you use to cope have been impacted by current regulations and requirements. I mean, when the gyms closed the doors for a few weeks, you really did see how important working out was to so many people. It's a stress reduction outlet. You know, our weekend activities, trips out of town, movie theaters, shopping or retail therapy, or particularly here in Louisiana with where we love our festivals. All of these things, these were our ways of coping and they were all impacted by COVID and the requirements and the regulations. But even now, as we slowly move back into what many people are calling the new norm, it just seems like the anxiety remains. As vaccines become more available, that anxiety is still there. But now we have an anxiety about being around people or even returning to what's normal. What's really, truly interesting is that anxiety in and of itself is very normal. It's normal to experience anxiety in response to daily challenges. Many clients present with the goal that I want all my anxiety to go away. I'm not really sure that will or can really happen. And is it, is it really what we want? I mean, if we took away all our anxiety completely, where would that leave us? Now, before you go down this road of thinking that it'll lead us to some form of utopian society, let me just say I disagree. Anxiety can be useful. For instance, if I'm standing in the middle of the road and a truck is coming towards me, then I'm going to experience anxiety. It's trying to tell me something. It's probably saying, Calvin, get the hell out of the road. By increasing my awareness in that and listening to it, I respond by, well, getting the hell out of the road. You know, think about it this way. In school, when we were anxious about an upcoming test, what do you think that anxiety was really trying to tell you? It's saying, maybe you should study for the test. My preparation may lessen the anxiety, but the anxiety really doesn't go away until after I take the test. And then it's usually replaced by my anxiety of waiting for the grade. Now, in saying this, I want to be clear that there is a difference between experiencing anxiety and having an anxiety disorder. These are very different. A disorder, simply put, means it's affecting my ability to function. And the key word here is function. Oftentimes when I present to other counselors, when I provide CEU trainings, I make it a point to emphasize the importance of evaluating your client and how the symptoms that they are experiencing impact their ability to function. In other words, is it affecting their, their relationships? Is it affecting their occupation? Is it affecting them socially or academically? One of the things I wanted to do is just kind of spend some time and talk about sort of the difference between anxiety and an anxiety disorder. However, in order to do that, I need to spend a little time kind of talking about anxiety and fear. Oftentimes, anxiety is described as fear of the unknown, 
Fear appears to be at the heart of all anxiety-related states. Fear is a basic, automatic state of alarm, consisting of a perception or a conclusion that there's some imminent threat or danger to your safety or security. Fear is very externally focused, usually towards some specific concrete object or situation. In other words, the event itself is within the limits of possibility. Let me go back to the example of standing in the road with a speeding truck heading towards me, or even a rabid pit bull chasing after me. Both of these will initiate a fear response. Now, anxiety, on the other hand, is a prolonged, complex emotional state that occurs when a person anticipates some future situation, event, or even a circumstance, which may involve a personally distressing, unpredictable, and uncomfortable threat to his or her vital interest. So anxiety is internally focused. It's a response to a vague or a distant or an unrecognized danger. It appears to be more enduring than fear itself. And it is future-oriented and oftentimes driven by what-if related thinking. What if this happens? What if I lose my job? What if I catch COVID? What if I can't uh, pay my bills? What if uh, they come and repo my car? As you can understand clearly, we are all experiencing, experiencing a lot of anxiety at this time in our lives. But just because you're experiencing anxiety doesn't necessarily mean you have an anxiety disorder. As you can see, most of us are experiencing these levels of anxiety, but we've got to look at how is it affecting our ability to function. Generalized anxiety disorders are oftentimes characterized by chronic anxiety that persists for at least six months. That persistent anxiety and worry without the complicating features of other anxiety disorders like a panic attack or a phobia or some type of obsession. The anxiety and worry must focus on two or more stressful life circumstances, such as your finances, relationships, health, work problems, or school performance for a majority of those days during the six-month period. Now, it's common to have a large number of worries and to spend excessive time worrying, but the intensity and the frequency of this anxiety and this worry is always out of proportion to the actual likelihood of the fearful events happening. And oftentimes clients, individuals find it difficult to control the worry. Now we also look at some additional symptoms. In addition to ongoing excessive worry, is a person experiencing restlessness, easily fatigued, difficulty concentrating, irritability, muscle tightness, and even difficulties with sleep. These symptoms must also cause some type of significant distress or interference with your ability to function. Now, these symptoms are also not attributed to any type of substance or medication issue and can't be better explained by any other mental disorder or medical condition. Now, I don't want you to take any of these diagnostic criteria and run with it. That's what people tend to do a lot of times. I remember when I was in college, in graduate school, and I was studying abnormal psychology, I came home one weekend with the DSM, which is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual that we use as counselors and as psychologists and doctors to diagnose mental health issues. It was so funny because my mom got hold of the DSM and flipped through it throughout the weekend. And at the end of the weekend, she was stopping me at the door as I was leaving going, oh my goodness, I'm a schizophrenic, bipolar, you name it, she had it. And I had to explain, mom, just because you have some of these symptoms does not necessarily mean that you are diagnosed with this type of disorder. Many of us experience symptoms, but again, I go back to, are these things affecting our ability to function? You know, this applies to emotions in general. 
You know, a lot of times when people come in, when they're experiencing some sadness and, or even some depression, you know, in, when it applies to emotions in general, it applies to being a human being. If you really and truly want to know the million dollar answer to why am I feeling the way that I do? Well, first and foremost, it's because you're a human being. We're emotional creatures. We are designed to feel. However, we didn't really come with an instructional booklet. So many of us have thought there must be something wrong with us because of our feelings. And this is just not the case. It is the case for improving your emotional intellect and awareness. So, you know, if I'm made to feel, then I must, it must serve for me some purpose. But since we don't look at feelings in this manner, we tend to give more power to them, therefore disempowering ourselves along the way. I personally learned a long time ago that my feelings belong to me. I don't belong to them. If I belong to them, they will call the shots in my life. And feelings do not make good decisions. It is then at that time that diagnosable disorders may arise. I believe it's important to empower all of my clients and the people that I work with that this is the first step to taking charge of your life. You own your feelings rather than letting them own you. Now, remember in the first podcast when I said change only takes place in the paradigm of action. This is why I put the emphasis on it. It's not about the feelings. It's about the actions. Now, if you're interested in exploring some of these thoughts further, then I encourage you to pick up Ryan Muncy's book, Fuck Your Feelings. Master your mind, accomplish your goals, and become a more significant human. It's really a great read. Or if you prefer his ad-friendly version, Master Your Mind. It's the same book. As a personal trainer and coach, Muncy actually uses the affirmation, fuck your feelings, with his clients to shock the mind. When a client wakes up and says something like, well, I don't feel like going to the gym today. Well, he hits them with the FYF. If you want to change the feeling, change the physiology. Actions and function is what matters. At the beginning of the academic school year, I was given the opportunity to speak with a great group of teachers and administrators at a local middle school. And I want to put a shout out to Calhoun Middle School right now in preparation for their upcoming school year. You know, it had been a challenging time for all of us. It had been filled with inconsistencies and changes that had created an incredible amount of anxiety for many people. Society in general had been impacted by these changes in ways that I really believe we truly have yet to measure. As the new academic year began, teachers, staff, and students were no doubt struggling with the heaviness of this anxiety, just as many medical providers were struggling at the onset of this pandemic. The uncertainty of virus transmission the constantly evolving guidelines each day brought us a new challenge to overcome. And despite the progress that we've made in the development of vaccines, again, the anxiety seems to remain. It increases the individual stress levels, forcing the body to physically react in what we refer to as a fight, flight, or freeze manner. You know, we are all hardwired to cope with fear in this way, yet we may not even be aware that we're experiencing it. This lack of awareness leads many to believe that something is wrong with them. They question their ability to cope and their ability to act. Well, you are not alone. Physically, we were created to chemically react in times of fear. It is a built-in reaction designed to save your life and ensure survival. It's actually how humanity has continued to function and survive to our current day. Unfortunately, your brain cannot always differentiate between fear associated with a life-threatening situation that requires survival and fear of uncertainty, inconsistencies, and the unknown. As I said, anxiety itself is fear of the unknown. So 
in these moments, your body does exactly what it's designed to do in these situations, releasing chemicals and neurotransmitters into your system to elevate your response. The heart begins to beat faster. Blood flows more rapidly. Adrenaline courses through your veins like nitrous oxide in a street racer, and the engine just races. You become more lightheaded. Your your hands shake. The tightness in your chest increases, and your breathing becomes more and more shallow. Now, if you're unaware of what's actually happening, the anxiety only intensifies, thus pushing that physical response to the edge. Believe it or not, you are responding exactly the way you are created to respond to a fear-related situation. Now, unfortunately, the anxiety of a new school year, anxiety of inconsistencies, and anxiety associated to failure does not really require a survival response. It requires problem-solving and resource management. You know, I once had a client years ago that eloquently described her anxiety in such an authentic manner. She came in one day and she said, you know, Calvin, it's like when I get anxious, it turns off my thinker. It doesn't get any clearer than this statement. It is a true and common illustration of what happens in an emotional moment. Consider the last time that you were facing an anxiety-evoking event, how your thoughts ruminated on the worst possible outcomes or the painful experiences that you had in your past. Your brain becomes so entwined in the future or even in the past that it can't function effectively in the moment, which is needed. I need your present mindset and all of its available resources. However, we jump back and forth through time. Half of our brain is required to process this ever-changing landscape of our own creation. This leaves us with only half of our mind to face what is needed in the present. So in a sense, we're working with only half of our resources. That's why we're limited in our response at that moment. That's why we think it's a good idea to end the relationship, cancel the presentation, or yell at the top of your lungs, or even crawl in the bed and cover your head up. It turns off my thinker, and I am left with only basic, sometimes primal responses, most of which create more problems than the actual problem that we're trying to face. The ironic thing is we will eventually end up facing that problem in some form or fashion, no matter how hard we try to avoid it. This is life, and we must embrace a strategy to learn how to live life on life's terms and not our own. The Stoic philosopher Epictetus once wrote, Do not seek to have events happen as you want them to, but instead want them to happen as they do, and your life will go well. Well, I guess first century philosophy doesn't really come to mind in a primal reaction to anxiety. So it helps us to prepare. It helps us to have an action plan or what I refer to as an anxiety response plan. Preparation is a key to success. Having an anxiety response plan can help you minimize some of the intense effects of anxiety in your life. This plan is designed to assist you with reducing the physiological reactions, eliminate avoidance, and change what we call subjective interpretations or thoughts that may facilitate the anxiety. It's a three-step process that I want to leave you with today. The first step is to engage in a simple deep breathing exercise, or what I encourage is a relaxing breath exercise. As previously mentioned, when we become anxious, we begin to shallow breathe, which then sets off a chain reaction that we're trying to avoid. So you start by giving the body what it needs. Whenever you begin to experience thoughts associated with anxiety, or whenever you become aware of any physical symptoms, then you begin with a simple relaxing breath. 
Now the relaxing breath is done to, to a count, and it's a count of four, seven, and eight. You want to begin by exhaling completely through your mouth, making that whooshing sound. <sighs> Just releasing all of that excess tension and frustration. Then you want to inhale quietly through your nose to a mental count of four. Hold your breath for a count of seven, and then exhale completely through your mouth, making that whooshing sound to a count of eight. You want to practice this exercise on a daily basis. Try doing it for about three sets of five. Deep breathing really does help, but it must be practiced on a regular basis so that you become familiar with it. It's kind of like you don't learn how to swim when you fall out of the boat. You learn how to swim before you ever go on the boat ride. Well, breathing exercises, deep breathing exercises, or any type of meditative exercises, these are designed to help us along the way to lessen our anxiety-related reactions. You don't learn something like this and apply it in that acute moment and expect everything to go away if you haven't practiced it. Now, once we have given the body the oxygen that it's needing, once we have gotten the oxygen flowing to the brain, I can breathe, my body doesn't feel like it's under distress and doesn't feel like it needs to react, the next thing we need to do is I need you to be present in that room. And one of the things that I encourage my clients to do is a grounding exercise. And it's a simple 5-4-3-2-1 grounding exercise that I use with a lot of my clients that are, that's designed to bring your mind into the present and keep you from future tripping. And what we use, we're going to use our five senses. So what you want to do during a grounding exercise, once you've participated in the 4-7-8 relaxing breath, then you want to ground yourself wherever you are. So start by looking around wherever you are, and I encourage clients to name these things out loud to themselves, okay? Look around for five things that you see around you and name them out loud. Next, name four things that you can touch, and if possible, actually reach out, make contact, and touch these things and become grounded in your place or in your moment. The next thing you want to do is you want to name three things that you can hear, followed by two things that you can smell and one thing that you can taste. Again, this activity in and of itself is designed to force your brain to be present in the moment. You know, another great exercise is simply to take off your shoes and walk barefoot in the grass, feeling the earth under your feet and just connecting with the vibrations and connecting with the world. You have to be present. You have to be aware and you have to be in the now. It's even associated to what we had talked about in the last episode of living intentionally. Now, the third step, once we have breathed, once we've got the oxygen flowing, once we are present in the room, then we can begin what I call a cognitive shift. This is where we introduce new thoughts. As you feel relaxed, it'll be time to introduce some type of new cognitive pattern or thought pattern. And I encourage clients to repeat the following statements. I am safe. I am loved. I can cope with my fears. I know I can do it. I am an overcomer. Now, affirmation exercises have been around for years. And they do get a lot of criticism uh, regarding, well, you know, I don't feel this way. I don't think this way. Am I lying to myself? You know, it, it's, a, it's a grounded exercise, a very healthy exercise of challenging or confronting some of the negative thoughts that fuel or feed 
our anxiety-related thinking. The problem, I believe, that comes in a lot of times is that it's hard to get those thoughts in there when you are not present and when you feel like you are under distress or like you were choking to death. So that's why we introduce those other two exercises before we ever begin this process. They can be extremely effective in challenging some of your irrational thoughts, but you want to try and personalize those statements. You can begin with the statements that I have provided. I am safe. I am loved. I can cope with my fears. I know I can do it. I am an overcomer. You Or you can come up with whatever is a direct, a direct conflict or confrontation or challenge to the irrational thoughts that are creating some of your anxiety. One statement that I encourage my clients to use and I use myself to remind myself of my abilities that I possess is I am uncomfortable, but I am capable. I am uncomfortable, but I am capable. This statement helps me a lot of times just to kind of bounce out or shock my brain to go, wait a second, you can make a phone call. You can get in the car and leave. You can walk out of a room if you need to. You are very capable of performing tasks, even when you are uncomfortable. So try this week, anytime you start to feel some of this anxiety uh, that you may be experiencing as a result of some of the changes that we've undergone or some of the adjustments to the new norm, try activating an anxiety response plan. Try the three steps, deep breathing or a relaxing breath exercise. Try to ground yourself in the moment, wherever you are, and then introduce those new thoughts, thoughts that challenge the irrational beliefs that you may be having. Well, it seems like we've kind of reached the end of our session today. Again, I want to tell you how grateful I am that you chose to spend this time with me. As we move forward this week, practice these exercises and face your anxiety head on. I want to leave you with a quote from one of my favorite authors, Gary John Bishop. People spend their whole lives waiting for the Calvary to come, all the while never realizing they are the Calvary. Don't forget, I'll be dropping a new episode each Monday, so please subscribe and follow me. Leave a review. Thanks again for stopping by. There's always room for you on the Counselor's Couch. Remember, you are not alone. Live intentionally, love daily, and laugh often. Peace be with you.